turn with me to John chapter 15. And today we're going to end this sermon series we've been looking at in the gospel of John. It's Jesus in his own words. A lot of confusion. Uh, Who is this Jesus? There were confusion in his day. Still some confusion in our day. So we're letting Jesus speak for himself uh, because he has some thunderous statements like only Jesus can that we find in the gospel of John. And today we're going to look at another one. Uh, I am the true vine. Now, my guess is when you hear that, you're thinking that doesn't sound too thunderous. I am the true vine. But we're going to see just like everything that Jesus said in this series, it's just dripping with truth and depth and meaning for you and for me. If we see this rightly, if we really understand what he's saying, it will have eternal impact on us. And I'm not just saying it because he's saying it. Hey, what a BEA beautiful day. Is this not a BEA beautiful day? What an incredible weekend that God has given to us. Uh, yesterday was really special for me. I was able to go with my dad and my, one of my sons and my best childhood friend, Dave O'Connor, uh, over to the Lakeland area to something called Fun in the Sun or Fun and Sun. It's an air show. Um, anybody ever been to one of those air shows? I mean, wow. I mean, it's like, The whole world shows up in that area. I mean, people come from near and far. Uh, They camp. I felt like I was at Woodstock or something like that. But I got to tell you, it got a little emotional for me. Now, I'm an emotional guy. I admit I'm touchy-feely. But being there and standing before some of the planes that I heard about, uh, some of the planes like our very own Don Holmes uh, was a part of that crew uh, that I grew up hearing about with my dad, with my son, with my best friend, to think of the victory that was won that would allow us to do what we do right here, right? I got got a little emotional. Didn't let anybody know. That would be kind of girly. So I just kind of said, okay, this is incredible. You know, we have more reason to be emotional of a victory that was won by the ultimate warrior, Jesus. God in the flesh, who would come and rescue you and rescue me. He would take on the greatest enemy, sin and death itself. And so that through his sacrifice, we could live. Isn't that incredible good news? That's why we're here. That's why we gather. Uh, and again, I, I hope we get a little emotional. I hope we remember today through the priest's word, through, through this meal of just how much God loves you, how profound it is and what Christ has done for us. It was back in August of 1989 that my wife, Katie, being pregnant with our first child, Jesse, about six months pregnant, that we decided that we're going to come back to Central Florida where she was born and raised, and we were going to raise our family here. If you know my story, you know I'm an upstate New Yorker who went to college down at Florida Southern and after graduating got married and moved back to the Northeast. But when it came time to raise a family, we knew that we wanted to do it here. And so for me, I was starting a new home. For her, it was really kind of like coming back home. And it was just the perfect timing. We came down here and we were able to buy a house in the Domeric area uh, for our family. And again, we're so blessed with that house, so grateful for having that house. But it had one thing in the backyard that everybody who grows up in the north is especially grateful to have in their backyard. You know what it was? Yes, I couldn't hear you, but it was an orange tree. We had an orange tree. And I mean, I was just so excited. It brought me back because when... 
when we came down to Florida as a child, I came down and visit my grandparents. They had orange trees in their backyard. And I'll never forget waking up on vacation in Florida and we would have fresh squeezed orange juice. Do you know everybody who moves here from a place that doesn't have those trees thinks that every morning we're going to wake up and we're going to go pick oranges no matter what time of year. And we're going to have fresh squeezed oranges. Anybody still do that? I mean, I mean, maybe we go to Hollyanna Groves, get some or whatever. But there was something wrong with the orange tree, though. I was so excited to be able to get that first orange and you peel that thing. And that thing was T-E-R, terrible. I mean, it was, it was awful. I mean, it was bitter and sour. I mean, it's, oh, this is, this is, this is terrible. And, and really the only ones who liked it were the rats. And I'm not talking about my in-laws either. I mean, the rats. Do you know, maybe if you lived in Florida and maybe if you have good orange trees, you know this, maybe it's like, duh. But you know you're supposed to fertilize those things? Do you know that it's important that you prune those things? Especially at a certain line uh, above the soil. Do you know that if you don't, if you don't prune them, if you don't fertilize them, they won't produce good fruit. Uh, They'll produce kind of naturally by themselves sour, bitter fruit that are no good. I bought a great house in the Domerick area. I had to tear down that tree. Because it was awful. And we had to put something else in its place. Jesus is going to tell us today that he is the true vine. And it's so impactful. And and again, just just wait and see what this really means in God's word. And this what this really means to us. He's going to say, he's the true vine. And he's going to say his father, God the father. Well, he's, a, he's the wine dresser. He's the gardener. He's a, he's a pruner. And he's going to say to us that we are the branches. We are those who in Christ Jesus have a relationship with him. He says we're connected to him. As he's a vine, we are the branches. He's going to tell us, bear fruit. Bear much fruit. You ready for this? Bear lasting fruit, fruit that endures. He says, for those of us, that's why he's created us in Christ Jesus. He's created us to be a part of who he is as the true vine. He's created you to bear fruit. As a matter of fact, he says, for those who don't bear fruit, well, they're like that orange tree that produced bad fruit. They're going to be cut down and, and burned. But for those of us who, by God's grace, are in relationship with him, we're to bear much fruit to the point where Even the father is going to prune us, cut away that which is keeping us from really living for Jesus so that we could bear much fruit for his glory. Let me give you a context of what's happening here in John chapter 15. Remember, like last week's sermon of I am the way, the truth and the life. We're in the upper room. This is called the upper room discourse. Uh, This is here where Jesus has this last meal, uh, the Passover meal with his disciples that we will be remembering and celebrating today. It's here where he's giving his final instructions. It's here in the upper room where he gives this, this new commandment, the new commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's here in this upper room where he has said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And it's here where he says, I am the true vine. He says, if you're connected to me, it's crazy. If you're connected to me in this true vine, if you abide in me, you can do all things. You can ask the father for anything and I'm going to hear you and and bless you according to my will. 
And he says this. And if you don't abide in me, and if you're not connected to me, you can do nothing. Nothing that really brings life. Nothing that brings lasting joy. Nothing that will ever please the Father. You could do nothing. Well, that's the context in John. And so that's where we are in that upper room. But let me, let's pull back just a minute. and Let's look at the bigger context of God's word. What is Jesus really saying when he says, I am the true vine? Well, for the Israelites, for God's people, for those who knew the Old Testament, they knew what he was saying. They knew the analogy. Because the Israelites were, well, they felt they were God's chosen people. And sometimes God calls them his son, Israel, my son, who I've called out of Egypt. But he does more than that. He not only calls these people his son, but he also calls them his vine, his vineyard. His vineyard that he's called out of Egypt and planted in the promised uh, land. And so when Jesus is saying, when he says, I am the true vine. And this is why, again, one of those like, whoa. He's saying this. I am the true son. I'm the true only begotten son. I'm the true vine. That I'm the true Israel. And all the hopes and the promises that were given to Israel, all of them find fulfillment in me. I mean, it's again, Jesus, through this whole I am, he takes all these great truths and he personalizes all of them to say, in me, in God incarnate, God in the flesh, you're going to find all of these reality. It's there where he says, I am the true vine. So let's look to John, uh, Gospel of John, John 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, they'll be listed for you in the bulletin. You'll see that we'll refer to a couple other texts as well. But let's be mindful that whether we're in the Gospel of John or we're in the book of Genesis in the beginning or Revelation at the end, that this is God's word. Uh, In the original, it's without errors. It'll never lead us astray. But this is a living word. It's a word for you. Here's the reality. God wants to speak to you today. And not just to entertain you, but to transform you. For you to understand what Jesus is really saying when he says, I am the true vine. So let's humble ourselves before God's word and may the Holy Spirit apply it to our hearts. Hear John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. In the upper room, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the pruner, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you may bear much fruit. And so to prove that be my disciples, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide or your fruit should endure or last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. Let us pray. Father God, it's in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus, that we ask. If we abide in you and we ask in his name, you'd say that you listen. And what we ask is this, that through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me, that you would give us ears, ears to hear the voice of Jesus, that you would give us minds to understand your word, that what it really means, that Jesus is the true vine, what it means for us to abide in him, what it means for us to bear fruit in him. Oh God, would you impress that upon our minds? And would you use those things to shape our hearts so that we can love you and abide in your love, Jesus, and so that we can love one another? Oh God, I pray that your spirit would come and touch each one of our hearts, the heart that is cold because of unbelief, the heart that is hard because of sin, the heart that is broken because of despair. Come and and do that which only you can do. And God, would you give us feet, feet to bear fruit, feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, feet that would allow us to live a lifestyle abiding in you, loving you, and living for you. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, the true vine of Jesus, would you use those things to give us life and life abundantly? Would you use those things to cause us to abide in you and bear fruit for you? And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, your son. Amen. If you have a bulletin, you may want to follow along with me. You'll find an outline there for you. And the first thing we're going to see with Jesus saying, I am the true vine is this Christ, the true vine. Well, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, you probably want to ask the question, what's the false vine? What's the other vine? What's the comparative vine? If he is the true vine. And again, we see that answer uh, through the Old Testament, through scripture leading up to this. And the prophet Isaiah, I'm sorry, prophet Hosea, In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, there's a very interesting verse uh, that reveals to us kind of not only who Jesus is and what happened to Jesus, but also will reveal to us uh, about the nation of Israel. Hosea 11, 1 says this, when Israel was a child, when the nation of Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. 
It's basically saying, this is God's people. They're, they're, I'm calling them my son. And out of Egypt, if you know the Bible story, it's a, a reminder that God's people, uh, because of a famine, were sent to Egypt. They wound up spending 400 years there. And there they were enslaved. And God heard their cry. And God heard his son, his people's cry. And he says, out of Egypt, I called them. I called them out of Egypt and, and I led them through the, to the desert and the wilderness. And I brought them to the, to the promised land. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, incredible story, this Bible. Those words were uttered again in the gospel of Matthew. And they were uttered at Jesus' birth. It was uttered at a time that Jesus was born. And the rumor was spreading that the Messiah has finally arrived. And King Herod didn't like that news. As a matter of fact, when wise men came seeking after Jesus, Herod was wondering, well, where is he? They said, well, he's born in Bethlehem, according to scripture. Well, will you tell me where this Jesus is so so that I could go and worship him too? He had no desire to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. God intervened like only God can. And he made it clear to the wise men, don't go tell Herod where Jesus is. Go another way. And Herod realized he'd been duped. So what do you do when you're an angry king who's been duped by wise men and you're fearful for your life and you're fearful of your kingdom? Well, you found out where the child was born. You know that he's young. And so why don't we just wipe out all the males two years of age and younger? What an incredible outcry. But God intervened like only God can. And he told Mary and Joseph, Flee to Egypt because Jesus' life is in danger. And so they say to fulfill Hosea 11, out of Egypt, I called my true son. It's incredible parallel. And you see this reality. And then you also see that in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 80, God is going to make very clear that the nation of Israel is not only his son, it's his true vine. In Psalm 80, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. It's listed for you in your bulletin as well. God's word says this, you brought a vine out of Egypt and you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. So he's basically saying that I'm calling this nation, my people, this vine out of Egypt and planting it in the promised land. Verse 10, the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that All who pass by the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be the hand uh, on the hand of a man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. They're thinking this is the nation of Israel. This is Jesus. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Let me give you one more passage. Who is this true vine? Well, this true vine is the true son, Jesus. The Israelites aren't the true son. It also says this in Isaiah chapter five. Isaiah 5 talks about this vine this way. Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. 
He built a tower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command that the clouds, that the rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. I know that was a lot, but let me summarize this for you. The Israelites knew this. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's basically saying, I am the true son of God. Where the nation of Israel did not succeed, where they continually sinned, where they continually fell, when they continually brought on God's wrath, when you thought that all was lost, here emerges God's only begotten son. Here emerges the obedient son. Here emerges the righteous son. Here emerges the one who is going to obey his father. Here is the one who's going to rescue the lost sheep. Here we find Jesus. And here's the reality. All the promises that God had given to his nation, his people, all the promises says, if you do this, I will bless you. Everything they failed on, Jesus succeeds. It's incredible. Paul will say it this way. All all the promises find their yes through the true son, Jesus, because he accomplished all that we have failed to do. It's an incredible I am. I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. I am the true son. I am the true hope. Everything in the Bible points to me. Another thunderous I am. It's so much more than just a vine. I'm the son. I'm the true Israel. Let's look and remember back a little bit about what he said. We started off this one. Before Abraham was, I am. He's not only saying, is he eternal? But they picked up stones to kill him because here's what Jesus said in this I am. He took the name of Yahweh. He took the name of God Almighty. Jesus, this carpenter's son. Jesus, this one born in Bethlehem, growing up in Nazareth. Jesus is the one who says, I'm it. I'm God Almighty. It was crazy when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true manna from heaven. As God's people were fed from Egypt to the promised land with this manna, this what is it? But they died. Jesus says, I've come from heaven. I've come to give you life. If you believe in me, if you feed on me, you're going to live. And you're going to live abundantly and you're going to live eternally. Jesus is the one who says, I'm the light of the world. And not only that, I'm the light and life of men. The only way to have the darkness driven out of your life, the only way to have the darkness driven out of the world is through Jesus, the light and the life of men. It's Jesus who says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's come to look for the lost. I'm come to seek and to save you. I'm the good shepherd. And I'm the one who lays down my life so that you can have life and life abundantly. Jesus is the one who says, I am personally the resurrection and life. This isn't a cold doctrine. This isn't something in the future. Jesus is the one who says, I'm going to beat death by dying and rising again. I'm going to give life and life abundantly. 
Eternal life is found just here. I'm the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is the one who will say in the upper room that we looked at last week, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Anybody who wants to make it home, anybody who wants to make it to the Father, there's no other way except through me. And now he's going to say, I'm the true vine. I'm the true son. I'm the obedient son. And as the Father loved me, I have loved you. And all that I have as the obedient son, I give to you. Christ, the true vine. Secondly, in whom we must abide. Especially in the Greek, in the Hebrew, the Bible, if you want to know what's being emphasized by the original writer, look for a word that's repeated over and over and over again. It's very interesting, the word that's repeated over and over again. There's kind of a turn and a shift in this I am. This I am, he says 11 times, 11 times in 17 verses, abide, remain, stay with me. Basically meaning an inward, enduring personal communion. An inward, personal communion with God. He says over and over again, abide with me, remain with me, stay with me. It's interesting, as we look at the I am's, most of the time Jesus says, I am the bread of life, come to me. I am the resurrection and life, believe in me. And now, in that upper room, with his disciples and with us, he says, remain in me. You're already clean, you're mine. I'm going to forgive you through the work of the cross, but remain, remain in me. What I love about a vine, this image, he calls us the branches. What distinction is there between a vine and its branches? Now think about this for a minute. You probably haven't spent a lot of time thinking about vines, but aren't the branches kind of the vine? I mean, isn't it just one? I mean, a vine is just, It's made up of just that viney stuff and branches. It's all that it is. And there's this wonderful oneness that we have in Christ Jesus. I love the fact he doesn't say, I'm the stem and you're the branches. Or I'm the trunk and you're the branches. He's saying, I am the vine. There's this union with you and me. That's my life is your life. My identity is your life. It's, it's almost indistinguishable of what is the vine and what is the branches. Now there's always a distinction between Jesus and us, but when he pulls us into relationship with him and the father, it's so one, it's so beautiful. It's so connected. And he's saying with that reality now abide in me. Let me remind you what scripture says to us that if we are in Christ Jesus. If you've come to the place by God's grace, where you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are what's considered in Christ. Here's some really good news. That sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for you. You are forgiven and free, and God will never change his mind about you. There are never those who start in Christ that end up not in Christ. That union is secure. When Jesus said it is finished, you know what he meant? It is finished. But the communion with God, that fellowship with God can get gunked up, can get clogged. And although we'll always have that relationship by God's grace through the work of Christ, that fellowship, and that's that fellowship where he's going to say, abide, abide in me. And here's what he's going to say, abide in me personally. I love that reality. He will tell us to abide in his teaching. He will tell us to abide in different things. But do you know the loving God of the universe says this to you, I want you personally to hide here 
remain here. Find life here. Abide in me personally. May you find life and life abundantly in me. May your identity not be in what you do. May your identity not be in what you wear, how you look. May your security not be in what you make and what you saved and what your retirement looks like. May your hope be not in that things are going to turn the corner in a few days and that things are going to get better because of your gifts and abilities. But find your life, find your identity, find your security, find everything that you can have in this life and hope in me, in me personally. We know as parents that we, we raise our kids with a hope that one day they'll be independent, right? That one day they'll be able to stand on their own two feet. One day they'll be able to provide for themselves. Amen. Um, and one day they, they kind of find life out there, not having to find it all here. And sometimes we think that that's the teaching of Christianity. Stick with me. Sometimes we think that that's the teaching of God. But God made you in his image never to be independent from him. God made you for him. He doesn't want you to start a relationship with him by his grace through the gospel and then somehow progress away from him. The more you grow, the more you're connected. The more you're connected, the more you love. And the more you love, the more that there's just this intertwining with your life in Christ. Dependence on Jesus. If you really love Jesus, the more you live, the more dependent you're going to be. You're going to realize that even the breath that we have, it's all his. We owe to him everything. It's all by amazing grace. God has not given us life to someday that we'll find out, say, hey, I could live apart from the vine. I could be a branch that could be out by myself. And he makes very clear that apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do all things. Abide in me personally. Second, this is abide in my love. Abide in me. And he says, abide in my love. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? I hope there's something in your heart that says, thank you, Jesus, that you want me to abide in love, not in fear. Not in wrath, not in burden, but abide in my love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, May the love of Christ compel you. That God wants you to do what he's calling you to do. Why? Because he ridiculously loves you. Enough to send his son to rescue you. And you love him. He cares about the reason of why you do things as much as what you do. And he wants the motivation, that the heart core of that is to be love. Abide in my love. So that all you can do, and not only that, that Greek word in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says being controlled by the love of Christ can also, a compel, can also be controlled or restrained. May the love of Christ constrain you. May the reality of what Christ has done for us and that we are now a part of the vine constrain you from your materialism. Constrain you from your wandering eye. Constrain that lust that's reigning in our hearts. May the love of Christ as we abide in him constrain us, compel us, and hold us together. May we abide in his love. And then he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Abide in my commandments. I mean, this is so beautiful. There's not a dichotomy between love and obeying. There's not a difference between God saying, if you really love me, Jesus, you will follow my teaching because you'll love the things that God loves. You'll love his word. You're going to love walking with him. And there's not the separation of love and commandments. Somehow we feel there is. Sometimes we feel like, well, a loving God won't tell us what to do. Parents, do you, tell, do you love your kids when you tell them sometimes? Don't touch that that's hot. 
Don't walk across that street without someone holding your hand. I mean, are, are there rules out of love? Is that a commandments out of love? Is that not a reality? And God said, if you love me, abide with me and abide in my commandments. But he also says this. It's really interesting. Abide in community. Love one another. Be in community with one another. Love one another. How should we love one another? As he has loved us. I mean, forgiving one another, being kind to one another. Abiding in Jesus means we're abiding together, that we're brothers and sisters, that this isn't a Lone Ranger journey, that this is a family, abiding in community. Christ, the true vine, in whom we must abide, thirdly, so that we may bear fruit. That's why God made us. You are here for God's glory. You are here. He created you. The Son redeemed you. The Holy Spirit fills you so that you and I will bear fruit. It's very interesting. Did you notice who the Father prunes in this passage? Well, he cuts away those who bear no fruit. It says bad things. If you don't bear fruit, you burn. It's kind of what it says. But you know what he says about those who do bear fruit? He prunes them too. So there's no one who's not being pruned or, or somehow being addressed with the father. Why? So that you will bear more fruit. You see, the loving father wants to do this. He wants to cut away anything that keeps you from leaning and growing on him. God loves you enough that he's not going to let an idol grow in your life that he's not going to deal with. He doesn't want you, anything you're going to find your identity in life and apart from him, anything that, that is not going to produce true fruit, this father, who's a loving father, he's not a mad father. Remember, he's, he's dealt with sin on the cross, but he loves you enough that he's going to make sure that we bear fruit. And listen, he trims us because he says, not just bear fruit, but bear much fruit. And not just bear much fruit, but bear lasting fruit. How many things in our life are we pursuing that will provide fruit in our life that will be so temporary? And God is saying, seek first the kingdom. Seek the things that are eternal. Seek my glory Bear fruit that lasts. For those of us who love Hollyanna here in Maitland, uh, it's, a, it's a fruit stand that is about ready to close. And so we're like, oh my goodness, is Hollyanna still up? Well, we got to get as much grapefruit, as much fruit as we can, because it's going to go away soon. We have to wait a long time. And God is saying to us, that our lives in Christ Jesus should continually be bearing fruit, not just seasonally, and fruit that will last. Why? For two things. One, that the Father may be glorified. It says, as we bear fruit, as we, and again, what kind of, what does that really mean? Probably think of Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. Things like living a life connected to Jesus as has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Maybe had them out of order. But bear fruit in our lives. And he's going to prune us to make more and more of that fruit. As we bear fruit, we do that which he created us to do. We make the name of Jesus beautiful and renowned. That he receives glory with us bearing fruit for him. But it's not just for him. And if it was, it would be enough. But he says that we are to bear fruit to bring my father glory. Ready for this? I love this. That we may have the joy of Jesus. So Jesus says, so that your joy may be in us. Jesus' joy. Have you ever had the joy of Jesus in you? Do you know what that means? Let me tell you, in my life, it means this. No matter what happens, no matter where I wander to, no matter what I stumble in, I am loved. I'm his. And by God's grace, the joy of Jesus is this in my life. I can't get over the gospel. 
I can't get over a father who would love a sinner like me so profoundly well that he'd send his only son, the true vine, to come look for me. And I can't get over the fact that that love included a cross. And that love included the reality that he, he bore my sin. The wrath of my sin deserves was placed on him. And because of the empty tomb, I'm forgiven. I'm free and so are you. The joy of Jesus is mine. And it's all of ours in Christ Jesus. Now, happiness has a tendency to come and go. But joy. He says, not only may my joy be in you, but may your joy be full. You see, a fruitful life, a life abiding in Christ Jesus, a, a life connected to him is a joyful life. I think someone bamboozled us. I think that we believe that if we really live for Jesus, if we really die to ourselves, if, if we really abide in him, somehow we're going to miss out on something really good. But he says this, if you want the joy of Jesus, if you want joy that is full, a full life is God intended, bear fruit that brings glory to the Father and it brings joy to us. I wound up cutting down that bad orange tree. I think I put a basketball court in its place. Can't have orange grove, the tree there. We're going to play some basketball. But the reality is of the gospel is that you and I, well, we are by nature that bad tree. We deserve to be cut down. We deserve to be thrown away. And here's the story of the gospel. God's true, unique son, the true Israel, the true vine. He was cut off from the father so you and I could be grafted in. He was driven to a cross and he died a death that he didn't deserve, that we did, so that we could have life and so that we could be known and loved and so that we could bear fruit. The story would make sense if God looked at us and said, you're bearing nothing but bitter fruit. I'm getting rid of you. But instead he says, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to provide for you, my true son, the true vine, so that in him, you'll be my true son, true, too. And in him, you'll produce a fruit that lasts. This meal reminds us and helps us to abide in Christ Jesus. It reminds us that God has called us to be fruitful in Christ Jesus. It's a meal that God uses to prune us. That he says, before you partake of this meal, examine your life. What in your life is growing that should be cut away? What are you allowing energy, time, and nutrients to go to that doesn't bear fruit for the kingdom? Repent. Ask the Father to take it away. This is a meal that says, come and, and again, attach yourself to that vine. Abide in Christ Jesus. This is a meal that fertilizes us. It grows us. God uses it in an incredible spiritual way. So my brothers and sisters, are you connected to the true vine, the true son? If so, abide in him and bear much fruit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, we can do all things. Apart from him, we could do nothing. It's amazing to think that Jesus is the true vine, the true son, the obedient son, that Jesus is the, the true Israel. And all the promises find their fulfillment in him. And God, we could never do it without him. 
Jesus, thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. You laid your life down for us, that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the bread of life. Before Abraham was, you are. You are the great I am. And what a privilege is knowing and loving you, being connected to you forever changes us and this world. Oh God, would you come? Would you cause your people to again abide with Christ through this meal? Would you bless our tithes and offerings? Would you use them to advance Christ's kingdom? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.